people who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. It's a favourite psalm of many people who imagine that their church building is the house of the Lord. It's a wonderful way to open up a church service, you see, by singing. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of God. Here we are, you see. Uh, Isn't it wonderful to be here? It's carved in stone over doorways all around the world. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Clearly implying that this building is the house of the Lord. And the Old Testament makes it clear, though, that God does not dwell in buildings. So in Isaiah 66 we read, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? How can you squeeze God into a building, even a big building? He doesn't actually fit. Indeed, it was the puzzling question of Solomon himself that he asked at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8. He said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? Even at the very dedication of the building, which above every other building in human history could qualify as the house of God, even at that point at the dedication, the builder of it recognised that it couldn't really be the house of God. But if there is to be a house of the Lord, the house of Yahweh, Clearly and unmistakably, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem has the highest claim. And that's what the psalm is about. It's about the building in Jerusalem that he's talking about. For it moves from the house of the Lord to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the temple of God, the house of the Lord. It just keeps coming back and forward because, well, that's where Solomon's temple was, in Jerusalem. For this really is a psalm about Jerusalem every bit as much as it is about the temple of, in Jerusalem. For Jerusalem is said to be the city bound together, the place of God's judgment and the place of prayer for peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It could just as easily be the title of the psalm as let us go to the house of the Lord. For as within the temple... So there is a particular role for the place of Jerusalem in the plans and purposes of God and amongst the people of God. And this special place for Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem comes in the law, referring to the temple, that Victor read for us a few moments ago in Deuteronomy 12. God's people, living in the promised land, were to visit the central shrine that God appointed Deuteronomy, you see, is spoken by Moses just before the people cross the Jordan to go into the promised land. He himself does not go into the promised land. Here are his final instructions for the people. When you go over the Jordan into the promised land, this is what you must do. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. 
it starts off saying this is what has happened so far this is where we are now when you cross the Jordan this is what you're supposed to do when they entered the land they would have rest from their labors they had to get rid of all the false religion and the worshippers of idols but then they would be living in peace and prosperity and God would appoint a central place a shrine for them to come together to give thanks to God for the blessings that they had received from him. They would come saying, thank you for the salvation out of Egypt, thank you for preserving us across the promised land, and thank you for the houses we now have, the vineyards we now have, for the prosperity that we now have. Remember, the nation wasn't really a single entity. It wasn't just a single nation. It was a loose confederation of 12 tribes. Each would be occupying their own land and their own territory, except the tribe of Levi, of course, which was scattered everywhere as the Levites served the people of God. As a series of separate states, it could easily fall apart, or worse still, the tribes could enter into rivalry with each other and into conflict with each other and into war. Indeed, such problems did come. They came when the people of God turned their back on God. As they lived in prosperity and rejoiced in their prosperity and forgot the God who had given them their prosperity. Which is a little bit like Australia, isn't it? You see, Moses had warned in Deuteronomy 12, as Victor read for us in verse 8, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. And that's sadly exactly what they did do. When they came into the promised land, after Joshua had left, and they lived for some time under a series of judges because they had no king in the land, they failed to be God's people obeying his laws, living his ways. What they did was what was right in their own eyes. Every person, every tribe, did that which was right in its own eyes. And even when there was a king, the tribal conflict continued and they fell apart. Ultimately, they fought over the succession. Ten northern tribes followed Jeroboam as king, setting themselves up under the name of Ephraim, and the two southern tribes followed Rehoboam as king, setting themselves up under the name of Judah. And so the nation was divided along tribal lines. In our understanding of the Old Testament, and the New for that matter, it is important to remember these kind of tribes that are there. It's like, if you're going to describe Australia, you've got to remember that we're six states. And what is happening in Perth is a long, long way away from what's happening in Sydney. Yes, there is connections, yes, but it wouldn't take much to set people at warfare with each other. Tribalism is very strong. One of the great problems of Africa today is that the nations that the 19th century European empires laid down don't reflect the tribes in which people live and have their loyalties. Because the tribes stretch across national boundaries. They don't mean anything to them. 
It's very hard to hold together a nation like Nigeria when there are so many different tribes living within it. The law of Moses involves visiting the temple three times a year. And those visiting the temple three times a year would be the times when the nation would come together once more as a national experience where they would be reminded once more that they were one nation under God. Three times a year, the tribes would gather together to the one place, reminding them of Yahweh and his blessings to them as they came to this central shrine that God appointed and gave thanks to Yahweh for their salvation, for their peace, for their prosperity. So in Deuteronomy 16 we read, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessings of the Lord your God that he has given you. It was great thanksgiving that was involved for the great prosperity, peace and happiness they had in the land, the promised land, the land of rest. And so the reason for visiting the shrine is thanksgiving. Uh, They don't come to make their requests known to God. No doubt they could, they could pray to God at any time. But they don't come for that purpose. They don't come to plead and require God to bless them like the pagan fertility rites were in religions used to do in the Canaan. Because the pagan fertility rites always had to persuade their gods every year to give them good seasons, to be fertile in land, fertile. No, they accepted the fertility of the land. They accepted the good gifts of God. They came to thank God and to bring offerings which showed the generosity of God towards them. And the Israelites were to join together each year in order to thank God for the blessings that he had so freely given them. And when you come to the temple in Jerusalem, for that is the place that God has appointed, you also come to the thrones for judgment. For Jerusalem was the place for the king. The place that united the nation under the king. Here was David's palace right next door to the temple, Solomon's temple. So as you came to give God thanks in the temple, there you met God and his appointed king, who would bring justice to the tribes so that they wouldn't fall apart and fight each other and quarrel with each other. They would bring to the king their disputes, who would settle it with justice and righteousness. This was the role of the king. Uh, Your Bible's open at Psalm 122. Turn back to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. It's page 577. 577, Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. So that's the role of the king. Justice, it's still the fundamental role of government. 
the most important thing governments do in any land is not give prosperity but to give justice. The Minister for Justice, the Attorney General, the the conduct of justice is a first priority in government and that's what the King was there to do in Israel. In amongst all these tribes coming up three times a year, they came not only to meet with God in his temple but they came to meet God's King in his palace sitting in judgment. For justice is still that primary function of government. Now, with this biblical background, let's look again at our Psalm 122. Verses 1 and 2, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The pilgrims' annual trips to Jerusalem were times of joy and happiness, of pleasure and of thanksgiving. Here was the celebration of God's goodness to us. This was not the Day of Atonement kind of time where you came fearful of the, the, the wrath of God because of your sinfulness. This was the time you came up to say thank you and look at the wonderful harvest that you've given to us this year. Thank you for providing for us so richly. The pilgrims' annual trips were like that. And so they come to Jerusalem, verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem, you see, was this centre of national unity, a united city where all the tribes would go up. Notice, they are the tribes of the Lord. What united the tribes was their common history and constitution as the people of the Lord, to the people of Yahweh. These tribes weren't just any tribes. They had in common the Lord. They had in common Yahweh. They were Yahweh's tribes. And that's why they had to go regularly together to thank him for their existence in the land and for their rest from their labours and their prosperous peace in the promised land and to be reminded of the unity that they have under Yahweh. It's different, of course, but in an individualistic sense, it's like the American Feast of Thanksgiving, which I'm always sorry we haven't got here in Australia. Uh, We import all kinds of dreadful things from America. Nearly hardly any of them do I appreciate. But the one really good thing that we could inherit from them is Thanksgiving. But of course Australians are grumblers, so we don't want to thank God for anything. We want to complain. That is our national kind of characteristic. But Thanksgiving, you see, is that time of the year when everybody goes back home. And we all they all head back home to thank God for what has happened in the last 12 months of their life and to share together in that and to remind each other of the family, of the, of the experience that they share together. It's, a, it's actually a wonderful idea coming, of course, out of the Pilgrim Fathers and their survival of the first terrible winter where they remembered to thank God because they were godly people. Well, Israel, you see, came together to thank God. But it was going together to the place God said to go, namely Jerusalem. And in coming to Jerusalem, verse 5 makes it clear, they're also coming to the king 
who unites them in justice. There, in Jerusalem, verse 5, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now, all this makes sense, then, to the command, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For when God's king, David, sits on God's throne in Jerusalem, with the people of all the tribes gathered together to give thanks to God for his provisions and peaceful prosperity, then the thing to pray for is peace. They should always pray for the peace of Jerusalem, whose name actually involves the word peace, Salem. Peace is what the city is about. And so in verses 6 to 9 of our psalm, The reader is called upon to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, not so much for the peace external to Jerusalem, the external threats, but for peace from the internal divisions and hostilities. So, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls. Security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God I will seek your good this prayer for the sake of the people in verse 8 that God's people would live in peace for it's a lovely thing when brothers live together in peace just as it is for the sake of the temple in verse 9 that he prays for God's temple is and should be a place of peace and harmony where God is thanked for the well-being of his people his holy people whom he saves and given rest from their labors and given them prosperity in the promised land when God's temple is the center of war then God's salvation is being threatened when God's temple is being destroyed well then, the history and the future of the people of God is put under question. And so we pray for the good works that will bring glory to their Lord for the sake of the temple. For if the people of God turn their back on God and the temple is destroyed, then the place of the unity of the people of God is destroyed. But it's not until the New Testament that we see the answer for this prayer And it's not what you would expect. So turn with me and we'll do a little Bible reading rather than me speaking. Come to page 1040. 1040. It's Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. 1040. Luke, chapter 13. And I'm picking up verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's not what you're hoping for from Psalm 122. 
From 122, you're expecting peace to be in Jerusalem. But when Jesus sees Jerusalem, he knows the history of Jerusalem. There's no peace in Jerusalem. Rather than the place where prophets and priests would gather together, it's the place where prophets are killed. Indeed, there's nowhere else fitting for him to go to be killed but Jerusalem. Come over a couple of pages across to chapter 19. Chapter 19, Luke's Gospel still. Page 1047, but it's chapter 19. And verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they didn't find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. See, here's the place where all God's people are to gather together for peace. But what are they doing when they are hearing the king, David, David's greater son, David? When they hear the king giving the very teachings of the word of God and the justice of the kingdom of God, why they want to kill him and destroy him. Because they're making money out of the building rather than seeing it as the place of prayer and thanksgiving. It's not the place of unity and harmony within the people of God. There's no peace within the temple it's as Jeremiah predicted so many years ago people were saying peace peace when there is no peace and they said God will not destroy us because we have the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord and so God sent Nebuchadnezzar who destroyed the temple of the Lord because the people had turned the house of God into a den of robbers And so when Jesus came and saw the new temple built not by Solomon but by King Herod, he wept over Jerusalem because coming to Jerusalem and to the temple, he didn't find peace but warfare. He didn't find peace but he prophesied destruction. He didn't find prayer but a den of robbers. And so we read the coming to Jerusalem. Jesus wept. He wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He wept at the sight of Jerusalem. It was the antithesis of Psalm 122. It didn't know peace. And coming to the temple, Jesus cleansed the house of God, driving out the money changers, who of course set up business the next day again. And preaching about the temple, Jesus foretold the coming destruction for it didn't know the time of its visitation. And yet, 
in its destruction, we find that Jesus fulfilled the very purpose of the temple. To be the place where God meets his people, for that place and purpose is none other than Jesus himself. In John's gospel, he puts it this way in chapter 2, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? Yeah, he would. You see, he was speaking about the temple of his own body. For the place we meet God is not in Jerusalem. The place we meet God is not in a building made by human hands. The place where God meets humanity is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his death, the perfect sacrifice that the temple could never perform. And in his resurrection, the place where we meet God. And in his pouring out of his son's risen spirit into our hearts, that we ourselves become the temple of God. See, when we come to the true Jerusalem, not the one in Palestine, that's not the true Jerusalem. The heavenly city, the city of God, that's described for us in the book of Revelation chapter 21. The astonishing thing that we see that would astonish the Jew because it was not like the temple, not like the Jerusalem rather. It's not just that it's a city of gold. It's not just that it's a city with a tree of life. It's not just its size and it's magnificent. But it's not like old Jerusalem because the key main building in Jerusalem is the temple. But in Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. You don't need a temple in the heavenly Jerusalem because there God dwells with his people. No building do you ever need to go to. And that's why, you see, St. Paul's Cathedral is blasphemous because it's a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name it is built to say that we enter into the house of God when we walk through their doorway. That's not the house of God. House of God is the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we meet in the gospel, whose spirit dwells within us, who are the temple of God and with whom we will share eternity in the city of God, in the peace that he has brought us by his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we can meet you, forgiven and pardoned, rescued and saved, transformed by his spirit to live with you for eternity in peace amongst your people, living in peace with those who are far away and those who are near, that we can enjoy your time, eternity, with you and your people and that we will know you as our God and you will know us as your people and we will no longer need to go into a building because we are your building. We thank you that this is already true for us in the work of the Spirit in life and we pray, Father, that you would help us to so explain it to our community, both church communities and to the wider world, that people might rejoice in their eternal salvation 
that is available now in this world and will go on in Jerusalem, the heavenly city, for all eternity. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.